This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, not quite. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. This has been a big month for yours truly, as I've had the pleasure of dropping a new crypto paper into the ether, excuse the pun, entitled Disclosure, DApps, and DeFi, where I introduced some new crypto-native building blocks for the DeFi ecosystem. Now, as many of you know, decentralized finance, or DeFi, is booming as various pockets of innovation, from NFTs to lending and investment protocols, have begun to change the very face of not only finance, but also digital entertainment, politics, and more. Now, with all the energy, I couldn't help but ask some lawyerly questions like, what does a person need to know when navigating it all? And are there tools native to crypto that could be built to quite literally meet people where they are and improve not only disclosure, but also their technological literacy? And I came up with a new taxonomy for Cryptoland, offering new concepts like disclosure NFTs, disclosure DAOs, and more. Well, the paper has kick-started conversations, so much so that the great Jeremy Allaire, the CEO of Circle, has agreed to join the beat and discuss the project. And in a twist, he'll be joining as co-host of the program, running the interview, while I'll be shivering in my boots and sharing thoughts about how tools native to the ecosystem might not only provide the best opportunity for upgrading crypto, but also perhaps disclosure itself. Blastmaster Chris, I don't talk itch. Expand your consciousness and dismiss foolishness. No one is new to this or new to Chris. Chris, it's awesome to be on your show. I want to welcome you to the podcast, but I, I think that might be a little presumptuous. <laughs> hey, thank you, Jeremy, so much for doing this uh, for me. You know, it's, it's weird being on the other end of my own podcast, but it is such an honor to uh, field questions from you. You know, uh, Circle has been a great friend to this podcast, and we've had some of our most popular episodes with some of your people. Indeed. Yeah. So let's dive in. So I've enjoyed listening and, and reading and this most recent set of ideas. There's a lot of powerful ideas in there. And, you know, as I kind of went through it, you know, the headline is sort of disclosure NFTs, disclosure DAOs, and that's sort of, I think, um, good headline grabbers. But when you kind of crawl beneath the surface a little bit and dig in, it seems like what you're going after here is there's a new infrastructure for economic activity, financial market activity, financial services delivery. We have this kind of new architecture and it's got a lot of powerful, intrinsic capabilities that have to do with authenticity, transparency, verifiable information crypto, cryptography being about proof, being able to know things are true. And so it's sort of taking that 
and saying, hey, let's not just take the rules around information asymmetry and disclosure that have been applied to the old market infrastructure that grew out of paper certificates being run around by transfer agents to whatever, you know, this, this kind of old world thing. Let's think about the problems of investor protection and, and transparency in general, and how can we leverage the technology itself to address those? And so in some ways, this is about crypto. This is about how do we build on the actual infrastructure itself to make it possible to accomplish a lot of the things that regulators have had to do with paper law, as it were, in the past. Is that, is that it's a big set of ideas. And, and I'm just, I'm interested just in, in hearing your reaction. Is that in part what you're going after? That is exactly right. You know, I think that, you know, living here in, in DC, and I think it's it's becoming a little bit more, more common here, you know, that I'm trying to push towards this conversation about crypto as a, a technology stack, right? And really thinking about, you know, what those use cases could be, especially as you as you mentioned, as, as you move away from sort of paper-based payments processes and, and payments-based technology, and, and to obviously think about crypto writ large, even, even beyond finance, and, and to really uh, do so in ways that build upon some of the more familiar stuff that, that, that people are becoming acquainted with, but also, again, directing energy with the degree of, of intentionality towards kicking the tires on, on some of the really productive use cases. And like you, you know, I'm a, I spend a lot of time in payments and finance. I, I'm a law professor, I'm a securities law professor. So I started with what I know best, which, which is securities law. But I thought that, you know, if you want to do that honestly, especially when you take the time to acquaint yourself with the technology, I think there you had to ask yourself at a very fundamental level, well, well what do you want the regulatory system to even look like? And for sure, you could just sort of say, we want a compliant system. But I think that concepts like compliance, concepts like disclosure are, are sometimes too often taken for granted, right? Because they, they reflect, as you just mentioned, sort of understandings of what was possible when those terms and terminologies were, were first memorialized and when they were first launched. So, 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 so you really have to take an extra step further to really ask yourself and to revisit the core concepts of regulatory systems themselves. And I think that that's what people have really, you know, I think it really struck, struck people. Uh, and at least I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so interesting, you know, as you know, I've been working in the internet space since the early 1990s. And, and I remember really, really well when the open internet emerged and all of a sudden kind of people could put information out and anyone in the world could connect to that information and anyone could be a publisher and anyone could be a broadcaster. The sort of gen the openness of the communications infrastructure and regulators were freaking out. You know, the FCC was freaking out. Like, wait a minute, we have all of these regulations on public airwaves. What, what happens with um, who can be a telecommunications operator and all these kinds of big things. And the open internet just made new things possible that just were never contemplated before. And the regulatory apparatus had to evolve massively so we don't need to get an FCC license to uh, have a website or do this podcast, right? But that would have been unthinkable 25 years ago. And so I think that in some ways, what you're raising with these ideas is that the regimes we have for investor protection 
and transparency around financial market actors and, and other things, they've never contemplated something like an open internet system. It's, it's fascinating. So I want to kind of dive into kind of what it all means in practice. And, you know, you, you've talked about the purpose of disclosure in the context of crypto. You don't hear people really asking that question that much. I, I think we've heard some more recent things, Sam Bankman-Fried coming forward with token registration. What would a registration statement be for a token? What are the kinds of disclosures that are relevant to a token or a blockchain. So some ideas there, but what are you seeing in practice here? Yeah, you know, and 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 uh, hat hat to Sam, and uh, you know, we discuss uh, some of these same issues. In fact, you know, even in that first iteration, when when crypto came to Washington, in in the context of the Libra conversation, you know, I, I testified on the Hill about ICOs and sort of you know asking just what exactly would one need to know, right? So I, I think that that the disclosure and the purpose of disclosure, I think that there's like a, let's call it a substantive set of questions. And then there's a, a procedural sort of set of questions. And getting to what you were noting with the open internet, I think that the substantive question is about much more than how do you define who has jurisdiction over it? I think that the substantive question is really a question about looking at, number one, at, at obviously what the technology is doing, but also revisiting sort of what is was the purpose, right? And so if you're thinking about investor protection or consumer protection in this space, it's, it's about more than just saying this is a security. I mean, after all, uh, or, or it's saying it's a commodity or it's saying it's anything else. Because when you look at the traditional approaches taken, and this is something that um, you know Sam's mentioned, something that I've testified on, right? The, the traditional securities law approach is, Who's on your, you know, board? You know, your corporate governance. You know, your 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 your, your management and the like. And that's not really the most important thing you need to, to know in in a blockchain driven environment. You you want to know about blockchain governance, and you want to know what's the relationship of the actors in that particular space. And so, you know, all those kinds of ideas need a, a bit of a of a revamp. And then, you know, what the paper sort of delves into on the mechanical part of it is that it's also worth thinking about, well, how do people get their information? What are the systems that are used in order for people to get their, their information? Now, you know, I, I kind of say, well, if they're already in a crypto system, why not make sure that that information gets to them where they are? The, the current system through which information is shared with investors isn't necessarily optimized even for, for, for retail investors, right? I mean, for those folks on, on the airwaves who think about the Edgar database, it is a joy to navigate. But yeah. you know, when a company goes public, you go, you make these filings, you put them in the Edgar uh, database. It's not like your average retail investor is reading them. You know, Your sophisticated financial analysts may be using them. There may be a third party kind of benefit that the retail investor gets, but the retail investor isn't relying on those. And, and, and the way in which that system currently operates, even for securities law, is that you know disclosures are meant to be filed and not read, right? And, and there's this question as to whether or not that's the suitable approach, whether or not that's the best approach given the rewards and risks for, for, for DeFi. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, look, as you, as you know, we, we operate one of the most successful equity crowdfunding platforms in the US, Seed Invest. And you know, they've been at the, at the kind of cutting edge of how do you educate unaccredited investors about things like startups and how to think about investing in startups. And, you know, there's been progress around, you know, Reg CF, Reg A, there's been progress around at least some thinking out of the, the SBA within the SEC around 
investor accreditation rules, the idea of taking a test, one of the ideas that you have, which is, wow, could we use NFTs as a, as a cryptographic proof of a level of understanding about a crypto project or a blockchain or, or what have you? And, you know, it's ve- as you said, it's very different than go on Edgar and, and read something that you frankly need a team of professional lawyers and accountants to read to actually understand. So how, how does that how does that play, you know, in, you know, in, in terms of making it simpler kind of for the end user using NFTs, disclosure NFTs, you know, l- let's maybe get into the specifics of that. Yeah, you know, NFTs, I think that they're, they're, they're really interesting, right? You know, especially since people don't usually think about NFTs in this way, right? You know, we're usually thinking about, you know, digital art or, or, or gaming or something. But, you know, NFTs in this conversation for, again, consumer protection of all things or, or, or investor protection, you know, they're, number one, I think an obvious point of departure, right, because they're popular, uh, but, but also because of their, their functionality, because they allow for the representation of virtually sort of anything on blockchains, but, but they can embed and be embedded within smart contracts. And this is what you're getting at to create what I describe as a, as a new disclosure experience. For, for for end users or investors. And, you know, we're, we're not really, as regulators, you know, we're not really into the question of like, what's the experience of, of an investor, you know, what uh, in terms of their disclosure. But I really wanted to ask that question because I think this new technology at least offers the opportunity to ask the question. And, you know, again, when you think about the, the Edgar system where, where information is filed and not necessarily read, can you start with an NFT as a kind of data wrapper, you know, of sorts? And I think there are certain kinds of limitations just because of the functionality of, of and, and the expense and, and gas fees for perhaps the most intuitive use of trying to to put disclosures directly on on, on a blockchain, but the, the the paper kind of argues that an NFT system could be built to tokenize not just disclosure itself, but really one's experience or engagement with a disclosure. And this is this gets to the testing idea, right, or or the gamification of disclosure. So just as a reminder to people in Radioland, blockchain systems enable the creation of a digital representation of value for for nearly anything tangible or intangible. And disclosure here or the use of of NFTs could be used in a way where companies could load their disclosures onto a website. Once disclosures are read, you can imagine a person could be directed to answer one or more test questions, or there could be a gaming sort of application to the website. And then once you've passed the game or once the questions are answered, a disclosure token could be minted um, to the end user or to the investor and then placed in their in their wallet, right? And that the tokens would be uh, unique. Uh, they would not be transferable, but you know, embedding the fact that a particular person passed the test and this is it's so great that you, you you are reading my mind when you're thinking about the crowdfunding and the credit investor and all these other kinds of questions. But those tokens could be saved in a wallet of the relevant end user and as a sign that they had engaged or read those disclosures. And then you get to ask yourself, well, what next? Right? Like, well, okay, this is good. I mean, you, you know, is there a functionality beyond the purpose even of making sure that someone has not just received that disclosure, but now we have evidence, a proof. That person that a person has engaged the disclosure, and there you know you get into all kinds of interesting questions like you know does the engagement could we think of the engagement of disclosure and and the gamification and passing those games as a sign of sophistication? Is, is that sign of sophistication more relevant in a DeFi ecosystem than the rote wealth standard 
which not only can sometimes have a sort of uh, negative or disparate impact, but also just may not be that relevant when you're thinking about very complex technologies. Could you use it as a kind of a system to sort of access different kinds of protocols? You know, you know, what can you do with that data becomes a really interesting one um, from the standpoint of not only, again, protecting the investor, protecting the end user, right, but also navigating uh, DeFi. Yeah, it's this intersection of um, kind of the classically defined accreditation type things, but just sort of, let's just call it like demonstrated understanding of risk with other maybe attestations in a sense about the individual or the entity then being kind of cryptographically presented in in this tokenized way to protocols that then can react to it and do things with it and it's sort of this sort of automation and orchestration of what then can be rendered as a financial product or service based on these sort of cryptographic proofs that you have that are in these tokenized forms, it's there's so much creative space there, I think, to work with. And, and you know, and that's what I was trying to get at. You know, it's it's like by by opening up that door, right? Now you're inviting founders, you're inviting engineers, software developers into into uh, consumer protection advocates, right? You know, into the space now where you can actually start to build things. Like, I mean, literally, you can start to start to build very interesting kinds of closure experiences and you start to have a building block for doing interesting things with that data that you just don't have, you know, in, in an analog um, Edgar system. And I just find that pretty cool. It, it is. It's extremely cool. And, you know, we, we've been seeing really interesting startups that are working on completely next generation concepts of how do you, how do you represent someone's risk or reputation on chain using NFTs to do that, leveraging wide sources of data, not just, you know, your Experian credit score or, or, or what have you. And we've had, you know, reputation systems on the internet. In fact, reputation systems are how we get comfortable walking, getting into a stranger's car. There's vetting and there's reputation and ratings or allowing strangers to come stay in our house or buying something that someone is reselling from somewhere across the planet and having the trust and assurance that it's going to arrive. Um, the internet has, has sort of built these in. And now I think through things like disclosure NFTs and then the other data that you can have alongside it, right? You start to get to a place where that kind of trust and assurance that in the past required in some ways, like a very heavy handed bureaucratic form of, of, of regulatory oversight. And there may still need to be that layer at, at some level, of, of course, as well, but also the agility to kind of allow for the openness of the internet, which is, I think, the thing that freaks out, you know, regulators so much with things like DeFi. Yeah, you know, and, and again, it's it's, it's this really interesting question about how do you bring flatter systems and to direct them and direct energy and opportunities to way in ways that are productive, right? And And, and in ways where the genius and the ingenuity can be directed in, in ways that, again, build systems that actually are able to keep up with the technology. Right, right. I want to I want to change gears a little on this. And it's interesting because, you know, one of the one of the things that I've thought about is that what might an on-chain corporation look like? And, you know, when you think about the assurance industry, right, you know, you've got books and records 
and you've got third-party, uh, you know, certified financial uh, examiners and auditors that go look at the books and records, and you know, you've got kind of covenants around all this, and then they write up their reports, and then the reports get issued, and and then you know, m- maybe uh, a regulator like the SEC looks at what those r- reports say, and I mean, there's sort of this layers and layers, but in an on-chain corporation, you've got the potential for radical transparency for everything that happens inside that, every decision, every vote, every financial move. And this idea that you've introduced of disclosure DAOs. So if a DAO is in a sense, the early stage version of an on-chain corporation, it seems like all of a sudden we have the ability to have significantly enhanced capabilities in terms of disclosures for uh, both participants in DAOs, but also the third parties that want to know, have some level of assurance around the activity of the DAO as well. And, and so talk just for a minute about this idea of disclosure DAOs as well. First thing I know is that next time we're going to co-author the article because you're already anticipating everything I'm, 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 I'm going to go for. But it's, it's true. I mean, you know, and again, you know, it, if you don't ask the questions, these kinds of questions, and I think they're, they're they're very helpful because they make sort of everyone accountable, right? Because on the one hand, they're, you know, you can ask the, the market and say, hey, you know, are these kinds of ideas, ideas that you're thinking about? And you can ask the regulators, you know, well, you know, you have mandates as well, you know, are, are, are and, and some of these ideas can be very helpful in, in, in terms of the pursuit of yours. And I think DAOs are really interesting because they are, you know, early stage, but they do create conditions where it's not hard to imagine, not just sort of enhanced in different forms of, of cooperation, right? You know, sort of the ad hoc teams of, of, of people where you could, you know, create members uh, comprised of, you know, former regulators, law professors, founders, entrepreneurs, and VC folks all together in a room, you know, wait their voting, and yet have a very transparent system, or you can make it open source completely, right, where you could be able to identify, you know, are there parties who are always sort of voting in sync? Are we seeing coordinated sort of voting, uh, you know, to, to lend a certain degree of transparency? But what the DAO does by ideally, you know, what we've seen thus far, creating a normative expectation of, of trust and collaboration within the exor- uh, within an organization is to funnel sort of like-minded experts onto a platform where that cooperation could, could be uh, optimized, right? And I, and I think that the big important question and one that I invite people to think about, and I've already been contacted now numerous times by lots of software engineers is, you know, to think through that, that governance aspect, because this is something that could very easily be done and done in a way to, number one, uh, help to even lower the disclosure costs for some of the startups who could be operating in the space, but could also operate in a way to build new forms of reputation, getting at your original idea, both for the participants within the DAO. So, you know, if they are, if you have people who are able to create some of the most effective disclosures, both from a use value standpoint and for a regulatory standpoint, you know, where they can be rewarded with their own forms of reputational rewards or governance tokens in terms of how the DAO operates, you know, or, you know, even if you create a, a kind of a nonprofit DAO, you know, where, where dues are paid and, and therefore rewards are, are, are given in the form of some kind of digital asset or or anything else from the treasury, you, you can imagine a system, an on-chain system, all right, 
where you have people who, quite frankly, just because they're operating in that system, it's already demonstrating certain familiarity with how that system works and how that system operates. And to think very hard about what kinds of, of, of disclosures would be optimal from a substantive standpoint. So again, you know, what I'm trying to do and trying to imagine a world where you have on the one hand, a rethinking of the mechanics in terms of disclosure delivery with things like disclosure NFTs, but also thinking about and, and, and appreciating the challenges of, of, of making, in some instances, a hundred year old law relevant for, you know, two year old technology, you know, to have people with boots on the ground who are able to make that translation in a way that is effective for end users and for the people who are who are navigating that space. That makes sense. Kind of cutting through all this and, and also, you know, discussed in, in your paper is sort of the intersection of of these disclosure concepts and decentralized identity. And, and as you know, Circle helped uh, develop the Verity decentralized identity standard for crypto finance alongside um, uh, Square, uh, Coinbase, FTX, you know, Polygon, MetaMask, many other chains, really trying to introduce a way to make it possible for people to use things like some of the standards that have emerged to have various ways to have cryptographic proof of identity that can then interface with these. What's the intersection here between disclosure NFTs, disclosure DAOs, and decentralized identity protocol standards like Verity? And how do you see that playing out? So, so, and this is a hat tip to you guys. I mean, when I was going through this idea, you know, I talked to a number of uh, shadowy coders and shadowy regulators. And, and I also, you know, looked at some of the work that you guys were doing and, 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 and some of the, the payments folks, really interesting space. It's kind of interesting seeing a little bit of the uh, West Side Story street match between the NFT crowd and the decentralized identity crowd, because I think there's a lot of overlap and, and, yeah. and really productive ways in which the two can operate together. But, you know, the decentralized identity framework is is really interesting right there, there are some 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 practical differences and and I wanted to emphasize in the paper that the range of opportunities that are being presented in this new wave of technology is expanding dramatically and regulators as well as as folks trying to navigate regulation would be foolhardy to to sort of ignore them here with decentralized identity you could imagine instead of an nft serving in effect as the credential you could have credentials being built on open source standards, you know, compliant with frameworks set by uh, decentralized identity standard setters. So, you know, folks in the crowd who are into this stuff will recognize names like the Decentralized Identity Foundation or the World Wide Web Consortium Credentials Community Group or W3C Group. And these are like these standard setters for decentralized identity to ensure interoperability with other kinds of applications. And the whole idea here would be. Again, instead of the, an NFT serving as a credential, you could have the credentials built on, on these kinds of open source credentials or, or standards. The difference is between the NFTs and the decentralized identities is that unlike the NFTs, which are for the most part, although not exclusively built on top of the Ethereum blockchain, many decentralized identity projects, again, are operating with different standards, sometimes and usually are offline. Uh, or off-chain, and that's a kind of a different world, right? You could imagine what a model where decentralized identities are are kind of off-chain 
backpack uh, that I've heard described before, and I, I like that that analogy, holding pieces of data, right, about passing a certain kind of exam. So you know, you go on offline, you interface with an exam. Instead of receiving a token, you have a credential that's minted to you, and that credential is then held in an off-chain wallet as opposed to an on-chain NFT. And then within that wallet, you would presumably have an address you know, linked to somewhere on, on a blockchain if you wanted to try to optimize it for use in a decentralized environment. I think that because NFTs have that functionality of, of, of being able to be sort of building blocks for other kinds of applications, you know, I, I think you could conceivably develop some kind of hybrid NFT decentralized identity strategy, right? I mean, you could imagine embedding that disclosure did or, the, or a pointer to the disclosure, um, off-chain disclosure within an NFT, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that could be like a very interesting uh, world. But in any event, you know, when you if you're able to think about an NFT as, as ultimately a kind of a smart contract on a, on, a, on a blockchain, you get to this world where you gingerly, but in a really cool way, start to think about disclosure as being programmable, right? And being able to then operate with other kinds of technologies that are built on these open, on these increasingly popular standards that could help to import reputation into DeFi in really important ways, while also creating new avenues for building reputation on-chain. And I think that that's something that could really open up a lot of opportunity for people. And that's where, when you look even further down the line into these questions like financial inclusion, you know, I think we're, you're, you're really interest, entering into an interesting uh, space. Yeah, I guess just stepping back a little bit, I'm interested just to hear from two angles what are you hearing from industry in reaction to these ideas? And what are you hearing from policymakers in reaction to these ideas? And what kind of change do you think is necessary on the policymaking side to get, get behind some of these ideas, which could be industry-led phenomenon? I have been blown away. You know, I've, I've, I've heard from folks in, in, in one way or another from, from, from virtually every, I guess, relevant little pocket of, of, of government with varying degrees of, of, of seniority. I think that people, you know, in, in every case, whenever you mention new technology, there's always going to be some risk aversion. And I think that's only natural. That's, it, they, they, there should be, you know, regulators only get blamed when, when things go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, there is also a point at which, you know, almost a tipping point really, where, you know, inaction starts to become its own source of risk. And I think that's probably, you know, where the conversation is, 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 is heading, that, that, you know, if you don't do anything and if you continue to push folks into compliance models that could actually end up exacerbating risk as opposed to, to minimizing them, that starts to become problematic. Yeah, and I also and I also think that and and I and I you know I I'm I'm always you know I'm, I'm always available for folks who want to talk about it for uh, policymakers here in, in Washington. I think that just when you abstract from the financial regulatory question to the larger economic questions, that the idea of financial inclusion starts to become much is becoming much much more relevant. And financial inclusion isn't in the mandate of really any financial regulatory agency, you know, maybe if you go into FHFA, perhaps, and, you know, you have the Community Reinvestment Act over at OCC, but that's for industry. It's not for OCC, right? Right, right. Uh, But that conversation 
from the Hill and from the White House is very important. And, and I think that that is something that the regulatory community is coming to terms with. And a lot of the ideas that we've disclosed, excuse the pun here, are ideas that, that go, you know, certainly go to the heart of longstanding mandates, but they also sort of knock on the door of these other kinds of issues that are becoming increasingly central to regulators. And I think that that's why a lot of them are, are paying attention to this stuff. Well, I'll tell you, crypto and its role in financial inclusion is itself and there's an intersection here with these topics, but itself, obviously a massive topic, the topic probably for another entire show. Which I'm looking forward to doing with you one day. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but what I'll say, you know, this is, uh, this has been really tremendous. Thank you for joining the money movement. Oh, wait, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> FinTech Beat. Thank which, you. Which show is this? No, no, no. I and I, look, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I, you know, I am looking forward to uh, to to listening to my next episode of the Money Movement, and you know I think it was really really awesome for you to to hop on here and, and do this for me. Really really enjoyed the conversation, Chris, and really excited about all the ideas that you're pursuing. Thank you. Every once in a while, I'm asked how to do good research in areas like crypto. And my primary response is that above all, it's good to write papers without knowing exactly where you're going to end up. Besides keeping you honest, it gives you the opportunity to look at the process of writing as an experience that is as much about learning something yourself as it is about sharing information with others. And I've got to admit, I learned a lot in the project and talking to Jeremy Allaire and hope readers and listeners did as well. But as the white paper stresses, I ultimately just raise questions, not answers. And as such, there's a lot more work to be done. And I'm excited to collaborate with shadowy coders and shadowy regulators in the months ahead, willing and able to roll up their sleeves and join the journey. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.